if you had to capture 21st century society and the impact that it has on each of us, what word would you use? If you had one word to describe the individuals in your circle of life, what would that one word be? I believe that in my circle, it's made up mostly of ministers and church leaders, I think the one word would be exhausted. How many of you woke up this morning exhausted and you just couldn't wait for the day to be over? Don't raise your hands with that, but uh, I think that what we find in our society today is that we're running at breakneck speed, going nowhere in particular, but we're wearing ourselves out in the process. And the effect of that is dangerous for us. Many people are just exhausted, and you can see it on their face. Many people are angry and edgy because they're tired and still there is work to be done. But perhaps the greatest danger to any of us with this breakneck pace of living that we experience is spiritual vitality is on the wane for many people. Two years ago, just over two years ago, I was given, uh, I received an email, and it was from a guy that I didn't know. Uh, I've since become friends with him. His name is Matt Homeyer, and Matt was a pastor for a while, and then he moved over to Truett Seminary, part of Baylor University, and uh, Matt was the guy that you talk to when a church is looking for a pastor and you want students or ex-students, alumni from Truett, then you go through Matt's office. But he contacted me because he was working on his doctoral project and he needed some guinea pigs. He needed some people that would serve in the control group for his research. And so he sent out this email to pastors, several, a number of pastors around the state. And uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, suggested that he send one to me. Now at the time, two years ago, I was in Southeast Texas, and I was busy. I was very busy where church was working through a remodel project and a number of other staff things were going on. I was just busy and really exhausted. And uh, so I got this email from Matt, and I read it, and I said, nope, not for me, and I threw it away. And about, I don't know, 10 days, two weeks later, I got another email from him. This one was directed to me very specifically, and he said, Mark, I really wish you would do that. And he named the common friend that we have, and he said, he really suggested that this project that I'm going to do is really ideal for you, and I, would, I really would like for you to be part of it. And, and I started, you know, I went, had gone through my own doctoral project. I knew what kind of work was involved in that. And even being one of the lab rats for one of those things involves paperwork and time investment, and I just didn't have it. But because he took the time to contact me personally, I told him, well, I gave him that good old church answer. You know what the church answer is on a deal when you're asked to do something you don't want to do? I'll pray about it. <laughs> but in my head, I had already made my decision. I was not going to do that, but I was raised in church, so I knew the church answer. I said, I'll pray about it. And you know what happened after that is God got on my case about that. And he said, Mark, I really want you to do this. And so after praying about it and getting that message, I decided that I would do it since the Lord was telling me that was something that needed to happen. Uh, 
So the very first thing that Matt did is he sent us or sent me this stuff. And I was going to have to drive to Waco and sit through a meeting, an orientation kind of a thing. But before that, he sent this and he said, I want you to read this before you get here. So I started reading through this and here's what it said. Now, his project was designed for pastors who were, who were busy, who were exhausted busy. And here's, here's the first part of it. He said there were five warning signs five different risk factors, any one of which, if a pastor had one of those, he was in danger of a real physical response, high blood pressure, you know, some of those kind of things, five of them. I had three. And I thought, okay, maybe I should get involved in this. And so the whole thing came down to this. Matt Holmeyer's project, Dr. Holmeyer now, His project was designed to say pastors tend to be the least likely ones in a church setting to experience Sabbath rest. And so for about two months, I did this weekly thing. It had daily assignments to it, but primarily it was a weekly thing. And I worked through his project forcefully for me, forcefully because I didn't really have time to do it and I didn't really want to do it and yet I was in the midst of doing it and it was blocking off time to experience Sabbath. Let me take that and push it off to the side for a moment. Let me take you back to my days in seminary at Southwestern. We had a professor there, Dr. Jim James, actually Spivey. Uh, Dr. Spivey is also in, I think, the Reserve. I'm not sure exactly how all that fits, but I think he's a general now, if I remember right. And uh, Dr. Spivey was, without question, the hardest teacher that I had in all of my education process. He was not popular with us because he was mean and he expected us to know stuff. He was a church history professor, and he had the gall to expect us to remember dates and place names and people's names and significant events. And then, if, if that's not bad enough, he wanted us to be able to re, I start to say regurgitate that, to put that back out on a test and to do it in some kind of sense of order where they all fit together. He was a terrible teacher because of that. No, actually, he was an incredible teacher. He's just hard. And final exam was comprehensive. You know what that means? In that class, it meant we're all going to die. But in this final exam, it was comprehensive from the first day of class until the last, or roughly a thousand years worth of church history. There's not that much happens in a thousand years, right? And so we are beginning to kind of freak out a little bit about the test that's coming up. And Dr. Spivey came in the class one day. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. He said, I'm going to allow you to bring in a three by five note card, and you can put anything on that note card that you get out of your notes or out of the reading, anything that you need a little bit of help on the final, you can bring it in and you can use it on the test. That's my grace to you. I want you to know, see, he didn't know that I could write very, very small letters. I I had uh, been working in the oil fields of Odessa before that and Uh, I had learned to take orders from people on napkins and little scripts of paper. I could write very, very small. I want you to know I took my three-by-five note card and I reproduced the vast majority of the primary things that he had taught us according to our notes. 
there was not an eighth of an inch of blank space on that three by five card. Here's my, here's why I tell you that. I think that's probably a pretty good metaphor for what happens in our lives today. Most of us, our lives being represented by a three by five note card, most of us cram stuff into that and there is no margin for rest in our lives. We are busy people. It seems to be the order of the day and that busyness doesn't stop at the door of the church. As a matter of fact, many churches try to measure their health by how busy they make their members. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture today, and really what I want to do, if you need to leave early, I'm going to go ahead and give you the whole sermon in this. Uh, on this Labor Day weekend, don't forget to rest. Because resting, if we do it the right way, the Sabbath kind of way, resting is a rejuvenating thing for us. It is a gift of God that gives us margin in our life. But let's talk about that because I know just the word Sabbath causes up many of us to kind of step back and do a double take. So uh, in Exodus chapter 20, which is one of our texts for the day, we find a listing of the Ten Commandments. This is where God is giving the law to Moses and the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. And God has, the law is much bigger than these Ten Commandments, but we like to kind of zero in on the Ten Commandments. And this fourth commandment of the Ten is the longest. There's more space given to it. That needs to be instructive for us. Here's what we find. Remember this, this is verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That is the fourth commandment. Now before we go any I need to clarify a few things. So before we go much further, let me get this out on the table. Because I'm sure that many of you, maybe even most of you, are hearing this and going, hold on a second, this is the Baptist church, we're an evangelical people, and we don't believe that Christians are held to the law of the Old Testament. And I would say to you, oh, by the way, and you would take that a step further and say, therefore, I'm not commanded to keep the Sabbath. And I would say to you, I agree. I absolutely agree with that, and if you have trouble with that agreement, go to Romans chapter 14 and see what Paul has to say about our Christians, that is, freedom when it comes to the law of the Old Testament, and especially observing the Sabbath. So I'm not suggesting that we should uh, block off Saturday in this case, or even Sunday in this case, and say we're going to keep this the way that God was telling the children of Israel to do it in Exodus 20. That's not what I'm saying. That would be the Sabbath. That's with a capital S. And the determiner before that is the word the. I'm not promoting the Sabbath as far as what we observe. I am promoting a Sabbath with a small s, and particularly a Sabbath kind of rest. So we need to figure out what the word means. It literally means to stop. The Hebrew word is to cease or to desist. 
or to rest. As we saw, and I'm not going to read it again, but verses 9 through 11 in that passage that I just read helps us to understand that this is God saying to us there needs to be a day of stopping for these children of Israel. But the word rest, and that's we're going to get a lot of attention through the rest of this sermon, but even with that, the word rest is not the word that gets the most emphasis in this little passage. The word that gets the most emphasis is the word remember. That's the first word of verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day, he says. That means more than the way we tend to do it. I had a friend. Well, I have a friend, actually. That surprises some of you. But this particular friend has been a friend of mine for many decades now. And when his kids are about the same age as mine, and when one of his daughters was still in the nursery at church, Jim and his wife went home after church, and they were sitting around having lunch, and they realized that somebody did not remember to pick up the little girl from the nursery. So they just left her for a week, and <laughs> no, no, they went and got her. And somebody was in trouble, I can promise you that. So, you know, when, when we say remember to pick up your kids after church from the nursery, that's not this word, really. That just is don't be forgetful, okay? This word, as it's used here in verse 8, is a word that has a, a driving element to it. Literally means to pay close attention, not to forget. To hold on as an ongoing priority a priority in your life. This is more than just simple recall. God is saying to them, I expect my people, this is Old Testament Israel, I expect my people to pay close attention, not to forget, and to observe this thing called Sabbath. Now, I think God did that for them. And as I've already said to you, this one commandment has more space than any of the other commandments. I think that God did that as a point of reference because he knew how we are about remembering important stuff. The tendency, I think, of our day is to get so caught up in the things of life and the stuff that we're doing is to get so enamored with the day-to-day stuff that we forget some of the things that are really important for us, like rest. This is more than just an inactive, passive kind of taking a rest. This is something that God says to us, we need to to zero in, to nail this down, to hold on to this, to make sure that we're about the process of building margin so that we don't get a full note card in the way we live our life every day. I think that the reality is that for some of us in our day, we have avoided remembering to rest so long that we've come to believe that rest is not important at all. And so we just keep on driving. If you happen to be a young parent, you need to recognize that all of that press on your kids to go from one thing to the next to the next to the next, all of that press somewhere is going to have an effect on your kids and their ability to rest. 
In case you're still not quite sold, let me take you back because this is actually referenced in that commandment. When we go back to the book of Genesis and creation, chapter 2, here's what we find of God, and this is very instructive for us. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. There's a lot of repetition in there, and there's this ongoing push of repetition that is intended to teach us that says God did all of this, and God rested. And he did all of this, and he rested. So this idea of Sabbath, not the Sabbath with a capital S, but a Sabbath kind of rest in our lives is built into how God created everything that is. That's instructive for us. Let, let, let's come at this a, a little different angle. Back to that creation thing and God rested on the seventh day. Why do you think he did that? Ever stop to think why God rested on the seventh day? Do you think he was just exhausted after those six days worth of work? You see the throne room of heaven and God just is kind of draped over the throne and he's just, oh boy, this creation thing has just worn me out. I think I'm going to take a day off. Can you imagine that God would do that? I, I don't want to be disrespectful or anything like that. I can't even imagine that that would be possible. God didn't get tired because of creating and therefore he had to rest. There's more to this. See, what happens is we tend to take our definitions and try to thrust them on God. And so if I'm doing six days worth of creating or six days of work of some kind, you know, I just spent two days in Odessa. I'm exhausted I've been in Odessa. You know why? You ever been to Odessa? Slow deatha, that's what we called it growing up. We try to put on God some of those characteristics of ourselves. And so when we string together quite a few days worth of really intense work and we get exhausted and tired, we go, well, I'm just going to rest. And so what do we do when we rest like that? We find a good recliner or a good couch and we drape our carcass over it. And we flip on the television and we get a few mindless hours of just taking up space. Nothing wrong with that necessarily, but that's just not what God did on the seventh day. We should be careful not to try to push onto God what happens with us. So back to the question, why do you think God rested on the seventh day? It wasn't because he was exhausted. Maybe he was just fed up with the kids. I don't think that's it either. Why did he do that? The word there means to have peace. It is a word that promotes tranquility. And so after this creative work that God had done for six days, it says that he rested. There was peace with him. He was in a state of peace as he took in what he had done. This, this word rest is an active verb. It's not passive. It's not the you know, flake out on the couch kind of a word. This is an active word. And God rested. 
In other words, he was still engaged with his creation, but now the engagement not with, was not with what can I create next. Now his engagement was look at the work that has been done. You know, we find that at the end of every day of creation. You remember how that goes? Let me use our modern vernacular to pull that across. But it's as if God says on the first day he created these things. At the end of the day, there was morning, or excuse me, actually there was evening and there was morning the first day and God said what? Okay, now our the translation says it was good. The modern vernacular would be God looked at that and went, that's awesome. We might even say that God looked at it and said, I do good work. He took delight in what he had created. So the picture that we have of this seventh day of rest for him was one where he stepped back from the creative process, still engaged with his creation, and he took delight in it. How long has it been since you slowed down enough to take delight in God's creation? You see, this is the problem with us and our busy lives and our warp speed kind of living. We're just going so fast that we miss the texture of life. We miss some of the things about what God has done with life. I I was saying to the earlier service today that one of the times that I really enjoy uh, taking in God's handiwork is on my drive into work every day. Now, I hit Interstate 10 coming from the west side, And I'm just going to be really honest and transparent with you now. The other drivers are not where I see God's handiwork. (laughs) But I've I've only been here 13 months. So I still am enamored with God's creation that we call the mountains here. You know, you lived here all your life. You learned to just kind of look past those things. But I, I lived in flat places. I lived in places where no such thing as a mountain. You had to drive hours and hours and hours to get close to a mountain. And I'm just enamored with what God has done and how rugged they are, how they have their own beauty. And some days are crystal clear detail, and some days it's hazy enough and dusty enough in the air that it's it's just one of those things that I come in and I go, you know, God, you do awesome work. How long has it been since you pulled away from the regular routine long enough to take delight in God's creation? You see, this idea of a Sabbath rest is really, for us as Christians, has nothing to do with a particular day of the week. We're freed from that legalism. So, so don't argue with anybody. There are some people out there who'd love to argue with you about whether it's Saturday or Sunday. Don't argue with people about that. Get to the heart of what a Sabbath rest is about in the first place. How long has it been since you blocked off some time and some focus to be able to take in God's creation and rest. There is a rejuvenating thing that comes with all of that. But when we get locked into these arguments like the Pharisees did, these Pharisees of the first century, the New Testament people, the religious leaders, they had all these mental gymnastics to try to figure out just how you could really not do any work. And they missed the point just like we miss the point when we take our life and cram as much stuff into it as we possibly can. So my encouragement to you today 
is that on this Labor Day weekend, don't forget to rest. Build some time in to be able to rejuvenate. And don't feel guilty about it. One of the biggest problems that I had with that project that I did for Dr. Homeyer was I, I found myself when I was supposed to be coming away from everything and just focusing on, on the Lord and resting, I found my head going, you can't do this, you got stuff to do. It has become such a part of our everyday lives that the mental discipline and the spiritual discipline it takes to block off just a little bit of time is hard for us to come to. So let me finish with this for you. There are three different ways, I think, that practically you can do this. And hear me say, you don't have to have a full day. You may find that taking a full day just to rest as a Sabbath kind of a thing is more than you can do. So block off a half a day. When I did it for him, I just did half a day because I had too much work to do to do the whole day. But in that half a day, or maybe it's an hour for you that is all the time that you have, in that time, block it off and settle in. Three things, I think, that will help you with that. Here's the first one. Use it as a way to take in God's creation, what God has done around you. One of the things that I love to do, and I do this almost every morning, not quite, but almost, uh, I like to get up long before the sun comes up and go outside and sit out in the backyard. I'm sure if my neighbors were to see me doing this, they'd be going, that guy's a nut. I don't know what he does out there at 5 o'clock in the morning. But if you go out early enough in the morning and the sun's not up yet, just, just look up. And, and don't be looking up thinking about a thousand things you have to do that day. Take that time as a Sabbath rest and just look up and consider the handiwork that God has done for us in the night sky. Just take that handful of moments that you have before the sun starts coming up and consider the work of God's hand in creating the universe. And then I like to watch as the sun starts coming up over the mountain. I have a pretty good shot of part of the mountain from my backyard between some of the other plants and stuff that are out there. And I like to watch as it, the, the day starts as just a glow behind the mountain. There's not much distinction to that, not much clarity to that, but it is this glow. And as the morning begins to wear on, that glow becomes shafts of light that come across the mountain. And I begin to see detail across the top of the mountain. And by the time the whole sun is out and we find all kinds of detail there, we've had the, I've had the opportunity in that morning time to push everything else aside and do a little rest with God and appreciate the beauty of his creation. It's a rejuvenating thing. Makes it a lot easier for me to come to the office and not just do work for God, but to do work with God. You see, that's the value of Sabbath rest. It puts God in perspective in our lives. Here's another one, the second one, practical way for you to remember well is to find delight. How long has it been since you really had a good time doing something? My dad used to say a lot of Christians that looked like they'd been baptized in pickle juice. Really not very happy, not all that joyful. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons for that, I think, is that sometimes we lose the texture of life with God enough that we lose our joy. You know, Jesus was one of the most 
appealing people, maybe I would say the most appealing person who ever lived because there was that inherent joy in who he was. People wanted to be around him. They may not want to be around you, and you may be good with that. I I totally understand that. But find joy. Find delight in life. You know one of the places that I'm finding delight these days is about once a week, sometimes twice a week, I'll go up and go hiking up in the mountains. You know, that's not easy for me. You just need to know, here's a, a secret for you. I'm a little bit overweight, and hiking in the mountains is not really all that pleasurable in some ways. Some days I'm fighting for oxygen. But every day I do that, I'm brought back down to the joy of being alive in God's creation. Do you find joy in life? I remember talking to a pastor one time who said, you know, I'm just at a point in my life that all I really want to do is work. I just work all the time, and I really enjoy doing that. And within two years... He had burned totally out, resigned the church, left the ministry, left his wife. We have to find joy in living. And if you're having trouble doing that, then I encourage you to block off a little bit of time. On this Labor Day weekend, don't forget to rest. Find the opportunity to plug in to something that you love doing. Maybe it's woodworking, maybe it's reading, maybe it's just sitting out in the backyard. But God looked at his creation and he said, that's awesome. And then he rested in it and was actively involved by saying, that, that, that brings me delight. It's good, he said. Third one is sometimes we do this best in community. It's the spending of time with other people that God uses to remind us and to rejuvenate us. If we were to go, and I don't have time, Deuteronomy chapter 5 Uh, In verse 15 is the Deuteronomist's account of this particular commandment, the fourth commandment. And he adds something that's not in the Exodus account, and that is that God says to Moses to tell them, on this seventh day as Sabbath as you do this, I want you to remember back to the time that you were slaves in Egypt. You see, there's something about being in community. We are created for relationship. And so when we celebrate the relationships that we have in times of rest, then it rejuvenates us. Now, you know, seafood, fish, and relatives after three days, they both stink. So you don't want to do that too long, but you do want to do that some. Time with people as you celebrate the relationship that God has built into your life with other Christian people. On this Labor Day, don't forget to rest. But in your rest, I hope that you'll come out of it having worshiped because God's there. Let's pray. And as we pray, let me just ask you, what's the message for you in this? Maybe it's a message, a simple message that says you need to slow down. You need to build some margin into your life. Maybe it's a message that says... Um, you, you need to experience the rest that Jesus gives, the rest from fighting, trying to find life that he offers to you freely. Where is your life of rest? What are you going to do with the truth of God's word today? Father, use this time. Be glorified in it is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's stand and sing.